Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your comments in regards to last week's episode. I wanted to thank all of my co-hosts, Robert Reed and Josh. And uh, yeah, it was very exciting, uh, as I said before, um, to see the, the top 50 as picked by you, the listener. Uh, it was uh, very instructive. It, it accomplished exactly what I wanted it to, which is how do Christian film people put a list together. And uh, so if you have not listened to that, and if, or if you haven't read the various blurbs about the top 25 uh, at morethanonelesson.com, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, this was a, a very fun project, and I love, love putting lists together. So I might try to do this next year with maybe directors. I don't know. Uh, it should be, should be interesting. But anyway, uh, and I think that's uh, all we have as far as announcements. Uh, next week, we will be getting back to the Best of Pictures uh, mini-sode series, and we will be discussing uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, that episode has already been recorded, and you know what? Pretty solid. That's a good episode. Uh, mini-sode, pardon me. Uh, okay, so we've got some interesting stuff to talk about today, but first I'm going to bring in my favorite co-host in the room, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hi. Doing right. good. Doing good, except for this foot thing. Yeah, explain what's going on have with Have I not foot. talked about that on the mic? I, I don't, don't think so. Uh, so. It seems like I probably would have insisted you talk about it because maybe. it's a natural byproduct of this, of this Frisbee thing of yours. Yeah, well, but, normally uh, it's under the table and you can't see it. That's true. And, um, and now it's just it out for place. everyone to see. Yeah. Uh, for, for those of you out there who are, I'm sure are fascinated by this, I dislocated my ankle playing Ultimate Frisbee, so I haven't been walking properly for about a month now. So when I say I'm doing good... Usually yeah. at the beginning of the episodes, it's with that qualifier. Sure. You're doing as, as well as you can being a, completely immobile. Yeah. You're not completely immobile, but it is, you are off-puttingly slow. Like when we were walking here together. It's, it's bad. Well, now, now that I can actually put some weight on it, it's worse because I'm slower. Yeah. You were doing really great with those crutches when it was yeah. only the crutches. I was dancing on those things. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it was kind of disturbing to see, but yeah. uh, mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of exhilarating at the same time, very avant-garde. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and listener, I'm sure you can imagine uh, how often I have been making fun of Josh for this, uh, playing a stupid sport and getting <laughs> hurt, you know, uh, as opposed to just sitting around and watching movies and everything's fine, you know? But this actually is a good opportunity to talk about uh, for the title, uh, which is a, which is a, a film that Josh made many years ago that we yeah. offer on DVD. You can purchase. A copy you can buy you it like. right now. So, I believe we sell it for ten dollars. That's that's a steal. That's right. Uh, but if you come to the International Christian Film Festival or Alpha Omega Con, you can buy it for five dollars. Look at that special deal. That's right. So uh, all you got to do it because it saves me the the money to uh, ship it. Um, but yeah, for the title, it's a mockumentary about an ultimate Frisbee league. It is. Written, directed, and starring our own Josh Long. Yours truly. Absolutely. How long ago is that? Is that uh, 10 years? Yeah. Wow. 10-year anniversary, everyone. Oh, man. We got to do it like a special re-release. Get them now. Uh, let's we gotta, let's, let's uh, put this on Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, get some special features going. It yeah, is. Man. Well, okay. What? I, I was going to go more into I think it might be streaming somewhere now, but it's not. It's in the process of that, but oh, that's exciting! It's, so it's it's a long, arduous process and has not gone as smoothly as we would have hoped right now. So I, we don't have to go into all that. But you mean to say that something in the world of film distribution has not gone smoothly? Well, <laughs> yes. Boy, oh boy, that's that is not the Hollywood I know about. <laughs> well, um, okay, got bad news for you. So, uh. So we have, this is, there's only like the second or third episode that we have done like this. Uh, so our tagline is, uh, not tagline, slogan, what do you, I don't know, what do you, philosophy? Movie uh, talk for the discerning Christian yes. is what, uh, whatever you call that. Uh, that's our motto. Motto? Sure. Sure. Um, and, you know, mostly we focus on the, uh, on the movie talk. And uh, today we're going to pivot and do something else. We're going to talk about uh, the discerning Christian part. Um, although I'm sure our guest you know, likes the occasional movie. I know that he enjoys the Captain America films, for example. Yeah. Um, which uh, we will, now that I've put that out there, uh, we will not talk about. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it out there. 
I'm taking a Hitchcock class, so I like the idea of uh-huh. just having a loaded uh, a loaded gun out there um, <laughs> that uh, nobody d- uh, does anything with. So, all right. So I, uh, Josh and I go to the same church. We go to Pacific Crossroads. And Jen and I, for a while, we're not anymore, but uh, we were part of the, uh, the pre-marriage ministry uh, in which uh, couples will regularly meet with, uh, with an, married couples will meet with an engaged couple and just kind of talk them through some of, uh, some of what marriage can be and uh, hopefully, uh, what is it, disabuse them of their, uh, fantasies. Uh, their fantasies and yeah. misconceptions and that sort of thing. And it's been, it was, it was a lot of fun and very interesting because uh, an odd byproduct is that it gets the married people talking about stuff that maybe they haven't talked about in a while and, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Yep. It was not unheard of for Jen and I to get in a, to, okay, to either, after the couple would leave, we would either get in a fight or we'd just start making out. Um, That's awesome. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's very strange. Sometimes both. Yeah. Oh, boy. Which is weird because, you know, because it's, it's, it, all your points are muffled. Yeah. <laughs> Can't make it out. So, okay. So while I was, uh, while we were in the, the pre-marriage uh, ministry, we met uh, our, our guest today, who, is, who he and his wife were part of the ministry as well. And back when we did, uh, we opened everything with a seminar, I believe you guys always kicked it off. Yes. Uh, and so we, our guest is Tim Long. Mm-hmm. No relation to Josh Long. No. That, that we know of. That we know of. <laughs> Thank that God. We, oh. That I know of. <laughs> High five. Oh, see, you just made fun of Josh. Oh man, it's so much. You can do it. That's not what I normally do. People, I'm I'm not normally as a therapist. I'm very kind, compassionate, empathetic. I don't make fun of people. And yet, (laughs) to be in the same room with Josh for any length of time, here we are. It's bound to happen. It's bound to happen because it does not affect him at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. One could say it does not compute. Okay. so what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Sorry, just, th- just thinking about frisbee, just missing frisbee. Um, so okay. Uh, all right. So Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. You are. You mentioned you are a therapist. Yeah. Uh, you are. You. Uh, I know, but I know you primarily as a as a marriage counselor, but you don't mm-hmm. do that exclusively. Yep. But um, but yeah. So let's let's get some some biographical information you know, sure. out of the way. Sure. Um, or we can linger on it. It's fine with me. Um, so where are you from? I was born uh, in a small town on the western edge of Kansas called Goodland. That's how it's spelled. All right. G-O-O-D-L-A-N-D, as all the cheerleaders at the football games would say. <laughs> uh, Goodland, Kansas. Uh, and then around seventh grade, moved to southwest Indiana. So just good Midwestern white bread. That's, yeah, <laughs> just uh, flat land, not a mountain to be found. Pretty much. Um, is Wheat, Indiana mountainous corn. at all? Uh, no. Okay, I didn't think so. Um, no. But uh, so what? There's a reason uh, why the slogan for the state is "There's more than corn in Indiana." You know, if if somebody has a slogan like that, then of course. There's not more than corn in Indiana. <laughs> they, they have a That's reason to try and That was their corn. slogan for the longest time. There's more than corn in Indiana. There was a whole song? Wow. Actually, I'm sorry. It wasn't for Indiana. It was for Indiana Beach. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which, that's All even right. funnier. It's... It is a beach. It's Lake Michigan. Okay, I was Lake Michigan. Say, yeah, yes, yeah. Lake Michigan, and there's a whole bunch of sand dunes right on the edge of Lake Michigan on the oh. Indiana side, and so they called it Indiana Beach. Okay, hmm. all right. So that's not the state <laughs> slogan, because I was going to say there's a there's a real defensiveness there. It's like there's more than corn here. We have more than that. <laughs> exactly. We've got a beach. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, Lots you know, of grass. We have access to Lake Michigan, which admittedly they do in Chicago as well, and it's a much better place than here. Yes. Um, <laughs> Got a lot of corn, though. Yeah, oh, we have a lot of corn. Oh, wait, no, shoot, hang on. No, but there's more than corn here, I assure you. Um, th- there's a weird thing about the time zones where we don't uh, acknowledge uh, daylight oh, savings right. time. I that's forgot a fun about that. fact. Oh, that's changed. That has Did changed. They change that has changed. They oh. now acknowledge wow. time zones in Indiana. So Arizona's the last one. It was still very controversial. They they wanted to recall the governor and everything. Uh, is that true? <laughs> yes. Jeez. Or at least some people did. I don't know how big that got, but some people wanted to. They, I think his name was Mitch at the time, so there were a bunch of bumper stickers that said, Ditch Mitch. Was it Mitch Daniels? I think so. All right. Mm. Yeah. Politics. I know politics. <laughs> 
He was uh, said to be he was said to be the future of the Republican Party for a while, and then he just kind of went away. Um, but anyway, uh, so okay, <laughs> is that emblematic? <laughs> What do you the mean? Republican Party? Oh yeah, that's, that's true. Because he was a, he was soft spoken, he was intelligent, and knew and he knew policy. Yeah. And apparently, the Republican Party not so interested in any yeah. of those uh, anymore. But we don't want to offend anybody with our politics. Although I guess it is the only political stand we've taken over the last year is Donald Trump is the worst. Yes. So I apologize, Tim, if you are a big Trump supporter. That is a vibe I get from you. You've got right, your, you've right. got your red hat, your Make America Great oh. Again hat. Um, okay, let's get off of this. Yes, yes. We're, we're moving on. We're moving on. I'm sorry. Uh, so Indiana, we got that down. Indiana, Indiana, mm-hmm. which we have now characterized as a terrible <laughs> place. Um, so okay, so you go you go to Indiana. At what mm-hmm. point in your life do you decide? You know what? I I want to go into helping people. I want to become a therapist. Like when does that start to to form yeah. in your mind? Those are actually two questions for me. Uh, uh, go into helping people and becoming a therapist. Okay. Um, my grandfather was a pastor. My parents were medical missionaries. So helping has always kind of been in the back of my mind, and specifically ministry has always been in the back of my mind. Uh, when I was five years old, my sisters asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I told them I wanted to be a pastor and a rock star. And... <laughs> At least I'm a pastor now. But now, thanks oh, to it's the, it's the more than blend. one lesson, I could become the rock star. Sure. I don't think I have characterized this show well enough <laughs> to you. Um, this is the most, this is the, like the, the, the most vibrant we've been in a while. Um, I'm still waiting for my star to just take off. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I did uh, give, I gave that lecture at the International Christian Film Festival. That's true. 50 people. Mm -hmm. That was uh, (laughs) pretty exciting. Packed. It was a packed house, uh, (laughs) but it's a 50 person room. Um, It was a packed living room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if ever, if, if there was a, if there was a theme song for it, podcasting it is that Um, (laughs) because everybody thinks that uh, everyone gets into this thinking like i'm gonna be like mark maron's like oh you mean the guy who was already famous and successful and brought with him an audience yeah it's not gonna be the same moving on uh so you wanted to help people wanted to help you wanted to be a rock star uh you want to be a rock star pastor you want to be mark driscoll yeah we should should move on from that (laughs) i apologize Um, i don't so (laughs) You know what? <laughs> we will Sorry. 100% come back to that. No, man. <laughs> no, it's no, fine. It's, it. it's one of my, you know, it's one of my favorite things to be angry about. Um, and that list has gotten larger over the yeah. years. And I'm not, and, and honestly, I'm not angry about Mark Driscoll. Mm-hmm. I, I'm angry about ce- celebrity pastor, pastoring in yeah. general um, yeah. is much more what I'm, but that's, that's another story. Yes. Side topic. Um, Okay, so so you want to help people. At what yes. point did that manifest itself as, I, I think this is the way to do it. I should be a therapist, and that's yeah. the way to do it. Um, well, I actually kind of gave up on the helping people. As I said, it was in the back of my head. I really did, had no clue what I wanted to be. Um, when I finished high school, went into college, I was a band geek at the time, and I was playing trombone a lot, and uh, I actually auditioned, got into a couple of music schools, decided to not go that route. Um, my dad went to Wheaton College, had a couple of uncles that went to Wheaton College, had a great aunt that dated Billy Graham at Wheaton College. <laughs> I ended up at Wheaton College, and I didn't know what I wanted to study, um, but I auditioned for as many different music groups as I could get into and got into all of them. And so I said, all right, I'm going to be here. And I changed my major to that. Um, but knew I wasn't going to be a music musician forever. Hmm. Um, in the midst of that, uh, of college met my now wife, um, and finished college, moved to her hometown, um, to pursue marrying her while we, I had already proposed we were going to get married. Um, we then decided we were not going to get married at that point. Turn of events too long. Didn't read. I, uh, started working at an Amish lumberyard, 
and worked there for about a year as a manager at the Amish Lumberyard. Meanwhile, kind of wrestling with God alone in my very depressing one bedroom apartment um, about what I wanted to do with my life. And that's when kind of the pastoring thing came back around in my head. I went to seminary. Um, Jamie and I started dating again. And uh, in the midst of going to seminary, I, sorry, back up a couple of steps. Um, Therapy in general first entered my life actually with my wife. That's why she's a big part of that story. When we were first dating, the first big date that I took her to, uh, she was going to school in Northeast Indiana. I was in Chicago land and she was coming to visit me and I knew she was a theater major. So I knew to sweep this woman off her feet, I needed to take her to a matinee of Le Mis. Obviously. Uh Right. (laughs) And then her favorite dessert was cheesecake. It was, it's now her email address part of her email address. I haven't just given her email address on the air. Cheesecake. <laughs> Cheesecake. At gmail.com. You'd think that would be taken, but somebody's that, got it. That yeah. one, somebody does have that one. That is not hers. Um, so, uh, so I took her to the Cheesecake Factory afterwards. It, it was, it went, it was going swimmingly. We, we came around the corner to seeing the Cheesecake Factory in the Hancock building in Chicago. And she, like lit up like a Christmas tree. It's like, we're having dessert. That was, that was my uh, <laughs> that was my third day, by the way. Very uh, nice. I went to the top of the Hancock Building and Cheesecake Factory after. Very so, nice. That's odd. Good work. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we put our name in. We went back across the street. I think there was a Barter's or Barnes and Noble. We were flirting, reading books together because we're both geeks. And then came back across the street, sat down at the table, server came and took our drink order, server walks away, Jamie locks eyes with me across the table and says, if you want this to go anywhere, you need to get help. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Were you like crying a lot during Les Mis or something? Like what's, how did she arrive at this? You know, the funny thing about that is I, I did not ask her that question for many years. I was so traumatized <laughs> by the moment and, did, 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 and had no interest in knowing why she asked that question. Um, but I eventually did ask her that question. What it came down to is, is mannerisms. Um, she could just tell I was very inhibited at the time, which was very true. Um, I also just things, just odd things with me, how I would relate to her. Um, romantically, like I was a little too desperate for the romantic side of our relationship. Mm. I'll put it that way. Sure. Um, and it, it just, it seemed really high to her. Mm. And so she, yeah, that's what she said. And I was so angry. Sure. <laughs> so very angry for about three months. She worked on me until I finally broke down and went to so- see a counselor. Um, at the time she did not know, I knew, um, that I was dealing with a pretty intense pornography addiction Hmm. at the time. Um, And so that's when I went into counseling at the college, at the school counselor there. That's what I was going in for and was in a group there for that. When Jamie and I finished college, we went into premarital counseling with a professional counselor. When we started dating again, when I started seminary, I started seeing a counselor at that point. So I'd started having my own experiences with counseling and started to see this as, huh, this is an interesting way to do ministry. And so when I got to seminary, I started exploring that and pretty much off the bat decided, hey, I should have this option open, started taking counseling courses along with the regular um, divinity courses that go for pastors. So before that, were you, were you resist, like, in this in this mm-hmm. story, you were resistant because someone s- said, "Hey, this is the, a thing you need." Were you philosophically resistant to counseling before that? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Can you give a reason as to that, yeah, or absolutely. just instinctively? Because my faith tradition values very highly intellect and okay. smarts and right doctrine and right theology, and so as long as you had all of your doctrinal and theological uh, p's and q's in a row, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, everything should be fine. Okay. And so it was a big, huge internal conflict for me. Here I was, this raging porn addict, but I knew I had all my theological ducks in a row. And so yeah. I didn't understand why, but somebody, somebody saying I needed therapy, that's for crazy people. I knew I wasn't crazy. And so there was both, there was a philosophical reason and then also a very personal pride reason yeah. for not wanting to do that. When And so when you were in therapy, what was it? 
I'm sure it was more of a process. You can't point to any one moment or session or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, yeah, I might be able to. Oh. Go ahead. Let's finish do, the well, question. Finish the question. Well, basically, what was it within that that made you start to change your mind? Was it uh, a specific question or a series of questions that got you realizing something about yourself? Or was it just sort of the... F- not that not that therapy is all about feeling good. I know personally mm-hmm. that it is often not about that, <laughs> uh, but just the the sense of possible relief that it felt to be actually free to say some of these things that maybe you felt like you couldn't in your upbringing. Um, but it sounds to me like you might be able to point to a very specific uh, moment when you kind of started to turn around on this. No, I thought your question was going in oh, okay. a completely right. different direction. <laughs> okay. But uh, Feel free to answer the question you thought I was going to ask. <laughs> what was you know. the question I thought? I think where I, maybe I can tell you not where the idea that this was okay or this was good or I might want to do this came from, but where I was sold was probably my fourth therapist. Um, and... He was my fourth therapist, which means I was struggling. I was getting help by the other guys. I want to be very clear about that. They Each of them gave me something helpful um, that I can look back on and thank them for to this day. But I was still really, really stuck. And so I walked into this guy's office, um, and I will admit I was incredibly, horribly prejudiced against this guy. It's, it's really embarrassing now to this day. I was sitting in the waiting room, and this short Indian guy walks in like from the subcontinent of India walks in. And my thought was, Oh crap, that's going to be my therapist. Isn't it terrible thinking shows you the mindset I was in at the time. Hmm. Um, but I walked into his office. I was like, well, here I am. I'm here. And so I just started crying honestly, right there on the spot. Just like I have tried everything I know how to do. I've tried to think my way around everything. I know how to do it. I just want to be free. And his name was Ben. Ben stopped for a moment and he looked at me and he said, I believe you. And that's probably the moment that sold me on being a therapist Hmm. right there. Uh, That of all the words that Ben Bosme could have said in those moments, those were the three words I would not have expected to come out of his mouth because what I believed, um, outside of that moment. And what the message that I got from other people, though, I don't think they intentionally sent it was that I just didn't want this badly enough. Hmm. That's kind of the thing. And that probably would have been my philosophy of change right up until that moment is that if you want to change, you have to want it badly enough. And in that moment, there was a sea change in my heart and in my mind of no, I want this badly enough. That's just not enough. Mm-hmm. Like you need help. You need help moving toward that, that change place. So that's the moment I was sold on being a therapist, even though the idea had been in my head before then. It is something that fascinates me. And it's actually something that, uh, I forget what, in what context I was saying this, but, uh, there's a, a, a scene in the fugitive. I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of the fugitive. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And it is, I think the last interaction between, mm-hmm. Tommy uh, Lee Jones, Tommy and Lee Jones and, and Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford. Mm-hmm. where the whole plot has been revealed. Mm-hmm. Richard Kimball has been exonerated and he's sitting in a, uh, in the back of a, not a limo. That seems weird in the back of a car. And Tommy Lee Jones is in there and Richard Kimball is handcuffed because he hasn't been totally let off the hook yet. And Tommy Lee Jones immediately uncuffs him and like gets an ice pack and puts it on his wrist. And, um, and they have like a little exchange and there comes a moment when, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. No, this, that exchange is more casual and Mm -hmm. and it's really great. But before actually right before that, the thing Mm -hmm. that actually gets them on each other's side is when Richard Kimball says, I didn't kill my wife. Yeah. an hour before he said it to Tommy Lee Jones and Tommy Lee Jones said, I don't care. I don't care. Yep. This time he says, I know it, Richard. And then he repeats, I know it. It is a, it's a mm. validation mm-hmm. of this thing that up until now, nobody believed yep. and nobody knew except yep. like some close friends of yours, but they probably still had some doubt. And I, it's not even that I didn't know. I literally didn't care. And now it's such a it's such a simple moment, but it feels so real to have somebody. It's it's not merely validation. It's yep. but it feels reductive to say validation. It's just 
that moment seemed so true to me mm-hmm. and so real yep. that, and Tommy Lee Jones delivers it so well yep. that when people say that Tommy Lee Jones should not have won Best Supporting Actor for that film and it should have been Ray Fiennes for Schindler's List, as great as he is, I look at that scene and mm-hmm. that moment and I feel like Tommy Lee Jones totally understands what his character is saying in this moment yes. and how important it is for him to say it. Absolutely. And it's just a, a, a and he's, he's being almost fatherly to a guy that's probably his age. Yes. Uh, which is just so fascinating to me. Yeah, I call those uh, I see you seeing me moments. Hmm. Those are very super important. Those are the transformative moments, I believe, in any human relationship and any personal relationship between human and human and human and God Yeah, is that moment where you look each other in the eye and you know you are seen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the moments I live for. So now this, this is a very big and broad question. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. There are a lot love of, it already. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of different schools of thought when it comes to therapy. There are many know. schools of thought. Uh, I was going to ask therapy. that because even when you were talking earlier about uh-huh. ha- having gone through four different therapists, uh-huh. like, part of that reason can be that there be totally different approaches to the same yes. symptoms. Yes. So, sorry, if you want to continue Just, with the question. How did you arrive at the one that you arrived at? <laughs> Honestly, because it worked for me. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> That's... And really, it's what I experienced with Ben Bosme. Once I began to experience that and I went through the whole process with him, that's what I started to look for and want to be trained in. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have a very formative moment on that one as well. Our last year, this is common in in graduate programs, last year or two, you start doing practicum, you're out at sites, seeing clients during that time. You're also very likely to have the class that is all the different approaches to therapy and it's very confusing <laughs> you're trying to read through all the yeah like uh, well I like well i like that and, yeah, and you're just completely confused out of your mind right and so i was hanging out at my practicum site and i was reading this book on modern psychotherapies on all these different things and i was reading about gestalt and existential psychotherapies and i'm reading through this thing and i'm thinking this is it this is what Ben does with me. It's all about actually what I just said. Those, They talk in existential therapy, they talk about I-thou moments, like when I see you seeing me moments. And I was like, this is it, this is right. But the philosophy behind it, I mean, existential, the stuff yeah. behind it is existential philosophy. Gestalt is actually very materialistic, um, not, not in terms of like, like buying things, but in terms of all that is, is material. Everything is biologically reduced. In both of them, ultimately, everything is meaningless. Hmm. It's kind of the philosophy <laughs> with both. <laughs> and and so meaning is what you make it. And so then all the emphasis put on the relationship and the meaning you make in the relationship. Hmm. And so I'm reading this passage and I realized I've never shared this moment publicly before and I'm about to share it. Oh, ah, ah, more than one less exclusive. <laughs> the, uh, and I'm reading this and I'm actually praying at the time and I'm saying, Lord, I know this is true, but how can this be true? Like, I know that this is the way that therapy should look. This is what's changed my life. This is what's changed my heart. How can this be true with just this utter awful bunk of, of philosophy behind it. And I grew up very staunch Presbyterian. You know, we don't, we don't believe in the continuing of the gifts of the spirit and God speaks to people and stuff like that. But I'm sorry, but in that moment, God spoke to me into my heart, not audibly, but he, he might as well have. Um, what he said to my heart in that moment is because that is the way I am with you. That's how you know this to be true is this is this is the God. This is the God of the Bible, the God who meets people, you know, the God who sees people. And those kinds of themes are from very early on in the narrative, in the biblical narrative, is God seeing people. And when they feel seen, their lives change. God is not limited to specific theories of <laughs> yes. psychology or art or mm-hmm. any or uh, politics or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. there might be it's just and especially in this where it's it's based on the whole idea is connecting with another person and helping mm-hmm. them to get to a place where they uh, uh 
can be more reconciled with other people and with God himself. It, yes, mm-hmm. not, not being like, well, I guess this is the best one, but it is very <laughs> limiting. But, well, what can Here you we do? Go. It's, it's set in stone. It's in the books. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, it could be one of those things in the existential philosophy, too, where it's, it's almost kind of reverse engineered, where they, uh, they observe something in the yes. real world, and mm-hmm. they say, well, this is, you know, here's my big theory that mm-hmm. I have as a philosopher. Yes. Here's how I can make it seem like this observable thing is a result yeah. of that. Absolutely. Whereas you were able to connect that observable thing to who God is. And that, yes. that's where its reality comes from. Absolutely. It, do, it does definitely sound like there's a certain degree of subjectivity uh, allowed in that theory where it's, if, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> where oh, it's yeah. like everything is meaningless. So it's what you make of it. Even if you, it's to such a degree that you don't have to agree that everything is meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's fair. It's surprisingly malleable. It is. It is. And obviously there are places you need to be careful. What, and so I would say if you ask, if you put a gun to my head, say, I want you to tell me what your counseling theory is, what your counseling technique is. I would say it's an amalgam of psychodynamic, which is actually going all the way back to Freud psychoanalysis, though I probably more identify with second or third generation, the developmentalists that arose in like the forties and fifties. Um, Objects to relations people moving forward, John Bowlby and his attachment theory. Just to give a layman's distinction between the two. So classic psychoanalysis, everything in a person is is driven down to basic drives. You have basic drives that determine everything you do. It's a very deterministic theory. Whereas the second or third generation, everything is derived back to basic relationships. And so that's uh and so that's an, actually a really important distinction. And so that's what, that's sort of my theoretical background. Mm-hmm. And then the technique, though, is more along the lines of what you might find in a gestalt. It actually arose out of a guy by the name of Habib Davinlu, which I just love saying his name, <laughs> from the late 70s, early 80s, uh, formed a therapy called Intensive Short-Term Dynamic Psychotherapy, very much psychodynamically, psychoanalytically trained, but was frustrated with the results he was seeing with his clients. And so was one of the big innovators using video back then. First Mm. time using video and like just watching hundreds of hours of therapy. And specifically in psychoanalysis, psychodynamic, like the, the holy grail moment, kind of their I thou moment is the moment of catharsis. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knows now as part of the cultural language that came from you know classic psychoanalysis and the moment of catharsis and so he was looking for what would bring about those moments of catharsis and so he formed a a he formed a technique basically out of watching just hours of this videotape but ultimately what it looks like is gestalt therapy which was like 10 15 years earlier though i would probably be shot by those people by saying by comparing them to gestalt but there it is <laughs> No, I feel like that's an extreme reaction. But, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, psychology so, is not that different from religion. People get very worked up and very passionate and will say all kinds of horrible, evil things about each other, about people that disagree with them. It's very sad. It's human nature at its finest. Doesn't seem it's like, remarkably helpful. Sounds yeah. like the internet, right? <laughs> <laughs> Josh, you're hateful. We're on the internet, yeah, and we're no. doing good things. Everything's on the internet now. That it's, is true. It, it's human nature at its finest. <laughs> Look, I hate the internet and other people as much as anybody. But, uh, you know, it ha- there's some good things on there. Oh, yeah. You just got to learn to filter out the bad yeah. as much as you can, which is why you're still not on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, and, that's and, part of the bad that I've filtered out, I think. Well, but that's that's what I mean is that like, but that's the thing. Facebook itself has uh, allowed you to, you can be friends with someone and just not follow what they say. And that way they can, and they might have unfollowed you, who's to say, but uh, I'm I'm friends with, uh, with a lot of people who would post stuff. It's not merely stuff that I disagree with. Uh, I can live with that. It's the way in which they disagree yeah. with me. Hmm. And I'm like, all right, I'm just, and there are plenty of people that agree with me and I don't like the way they agree with me. <laughs> and so it's like, I'll just unfollow them. But I do want them to find, I do want them to continue knowing what I'm doing with my podcast. So everything Absolutely. works out. True. The key is you to, want to be seen. See, exactly. it all comes full circle. <laughs> exactly. That's, I, you know what? Considering that I do have three podcasts, I would say maybe that is a something of a driving force in me is to be seen and heard. Mm hmm. For that's, thousands of hours. That's not necessarily a bad thing. 
All right. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yes. I'll pass that along to A little to... therapist affirmation there for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll pass that along to the hundreds of thousands of other podcasters. Um, but uh, so, okay. I'm trying to think uh, of a good transition to go from your, you know, your past, your training mm-hmm, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing into what is, you know, the, the topic is, is today is fairly malleable. But one thing that I find very interesting about you and the conversations that we've had is that you do, you definitely have very strong opinions yes. about... Uh, I wasn't done yet. You, <laughs> you have strong opinions about, uh, you know, already just what you said just now is the, the rigidity within, uh, the, the world of, of therapy and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but there's also a fair amount of rigidity, a little bit in the world of Christianity. Oh yes. And, and by way of, of, you know, personal biography and listeners know this, uh, as well is that. You know, so I started going to therapy at a very, very young age, age six, um, because I was, my uncle had just killed himself and I was saying some stuff that you don't hear a six-year-old often say. Yeah. And so my parents put me there. And, uh, and so I've been kind of going off and on as needed uh, over the course of my life. Um, so it, has, it was never stigmatized for me. And I'm actually very happy about yeah, that. me too. Um, but I found my, what, what might have been stigmatized, though not necessarily in my family, uh, was like the use of, of antidepressants. Hmm. And it's something that I probably should have been on them before I actually went on them Sure, uh, for probably about a year. Mm-hmm. Cause I think I really, it was actually, it was actually doing more than one lesson and getting some of the, uh, responses to it that really, uh, ignited my own depression. Sure. Uh, like I was losing sleep. I was freaking uh, out and all that. Yeah. And, um, and it took, and Jen, was mm-hmm. working on me and saying mm-hmm. like, you need to be on antidepressants. But it felt like the word I used, it felt like cheating. Yeah. And as a Christian, I shouldn't have to cheat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's enough that I'm going to therapy. I have right. a, I have a wife that loves me. I have a support system. I have a church. Surely I don't need this chemical thing, yeah. you know, because it feels like a shortcut. It feels like all of these things. And so now that was something I was putting on myself, but I do also, I am, friends with people who mm-hmm. are they they're not officially opposed to antidepressants that I think at this point most people I know are, are fine with the idea sure. of therapy mm-hmm. but with antidepressants uh, there are a, a few people who are just again not officially opposed to it but they will really fight you on, on sure it, as though you arrive there really casually. And I recognize that a lot of people probably do, or at least some people do, but, uh, it it always bothered me that people are like, well, have you really thought about this? I've been thinking about it for a year. Uh, and I hate myself for even thinking about it, but I do appreciate your now getting me to question myself again. Um, so that's, so clearly like that's my own background. And I know that you yourself, uh, have encountered certain attitudes either personally or sure. just in the larger sense uh, of Christians being as you sort of were yeah. um, suspicious of just the world of psychology yes. in general. It could yes. be therapy. It could be, uh, you know, uh, use of, of uh, prescription drugs mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so one of the things that I, that I really wanted to, to delve into because I find, uh, I feel like some of your, Opinions could be very helpful mm-hmm. to our listeners. Um, what are some of the things, some of the objections that you've heard Christians say to therapy and and and, uh, and psychology in general? And then, what has been your reaction, your response to that? It's a big question. I apologize. Yeah. Hmm. When you come down to it, it it all boils down to suspicion. Right. And suspicion, at least in my experience, arises out of negative experiences that people have had. And we have a shared history as Christians over the last 100, 150 years, especially, of academia Hmm. being opposed to uh, Christianity 
And so I think oftentimes when Christians are, are suspicious of therapy and of psychology, it, it is a part of the whole suspicion they have of academia because academia has largely been opposed to religious belief and Christianity in particular mm-hmm. um, many, many times. So I think there's sort of a natural kind of a thing, like suspiciousness that kind of comes up in the midst of that. And is, my, my, go ahead. Is there, a, is there almost a, a feeling of, well, ac- let's stick with academia. Mm-hmm. Oh, academia is trying to replace religion, yeah. the therapeutic nature of religion with this other thing. Yes. So we can't embrace it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, and so then my, at least my belief my observation is that the arguments against therapy come out of the suspicion, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, it's, it's almost like they're looking for something. I mean, the best, the best argument against therapy is the argument on uh, su- uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. And it's based on one, I mean, uh, I don't want to get into that entirely, <laughs> but it, it's not based on one passage, but there's one passage in particular they tend to point to a lot and it's one in which you have to be careful in how you interpret it and of course you could it, it's an argument that can easily be straw manned into um into saying well then how how do you study anything but the bible mm-hmm. it's kind of the thing if you're saying this the scripture is sufficient so that's oftentimes that's the argument that is given is that all scriptures god breathed um I actually do have this verse memorized, but it's not coming to my tongue right now. Um, all scripture is breathed out by God and sufficient. And, and actually, different translations say that different ways. Some say sufficient, some say useful um, mm. for training, teaching, uh, and it's leaving my head right now. Anyway, people point to that and say, you should not need anything besides the Bible, Yeah, basically. And then they have to look to the other parts of the Bible and say, well, okay, you need the Holy Spirit too, and you need community. And then that's about it. Yeah, it's like the end of the jerk. <laughs> yeah. This is all I and, need. And this lamp. <laughs> so, I. but again, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I really do think those arguments are arising out of suspicion. And I'm always, I am always suspicious of arguments that arise out of fear, anxiety, and reactivity are always, that's always, that's always dangerous. Um, Josh, you were talking earlier about making observations of the world and trying to form, trying to form a philosophy based on what you observe in the world. And that, that seems to be, you know, what we are almost called to do. Book of Proverbs, what the, what the, what the guy is doing is really observing things in nature, observing things in the people around him and making observations and making conclusions out of those things. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, I'm not sure the point I was making at that point. <laughs> I'm sure it's really important. Well, it is, <laughs> it's very, I myself have just, and in, it's the briefest of reactions, mm-hmm. but it is there. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody, including me, says, yes, 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 the Bible is fine, but... Oh, yes. But yeah. we also... It doesn't hurt to have this because, you know... Yeah, I react word, to that as well. Another mm-hmm. word for sufficient is enough. And so yeah. if somebody says... And so when the Bible says, you know, my, my word is enough, mm-hmm. well, if somebody says, yes, but there's this as well, mm-hmm. it's, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I... Mm-hmm. I have to. I struggle with black and white thinking. Sure, and I have a hard time recognizing that the Bible is still enough. That mm-hmm. is what. Uh, that is what will you know get you reconciled with God. And if you live your life according to this, your life it's not like it will be without pain. Yeah, but it's a good. It's it's definitely a. And even to say roadmap sounds too reductive, but mm-hmm. it. But it's also about more than just a, a list of rules to yes. make your life yes. work a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much larger than that. Yes. And then in, t- you know, in 2016, so, so much of it comes down to implementation. Mm-hmm. And th- I think that's how I look at this. And it's so interesting because this conversation parallels one that I had with Greg Kokel, who is a professional apologist. Mm-hmm. And he, him, he has actually gotten a fair amount of flack from certain, uh, 
sectors of the Christian community who say, we don't need this. We right. don't need mm. yeah. Yeah. this type of defense. Right. The Bible will speak for itself. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's just so fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think my reaction to those kinds of, to those kinds of statements is ultimately what I want to say as a Christian is Jesus is enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it comes back to the person and work of Jesus. That is what it comes back to. But then when we look at that, we have to see what he provides. I absolutely react when somebody says, oh yeah, the Bible's great. You need that. But there's also, yeah. I'm, at that point, I'm going to say, well, wait, no, no. Whatever the also is, is a provision from God. Yeah. I, I, that's one great thing I think about a Christian world in my view is every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift. And so if we can look at something through a biblical world and life view lens and say, this is a good thing, then we know it's coming from the Father. No. You know, that's, that's what we know. So I, I think that's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful when I was at college, I went to Wheaton College, one of the philosophy um, professors there, Arthur Holmes, one of his big dictums was all truth is God's truth because all truth is good. You know, it's, mm-hmm. so that's, that's the same kind of a thing. That's the direction that I would come from on that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm very careful. One thing I tell people when they interview counselors and actually, especially Christian counselors is to ask the counselor, how do you relate faith to therapy? How do the two things relate to each other? And I think a good Christian counselor will have an answer to that. And the answer I give to that is, as, as a believer in Jesus, I do believe that I have to start with my relationship with Jesus and a bl- biblical world and life view. And those are my foundation and they are my lens. They're my foundation for my understanding of who we are, who God is, what our ultimate goal in life is, which is Christ's likeness and fully realizing our union with Christ. Plug there for Rankin Wilburn's book. <laughs> and then, and there are lens through which we look at whatever we're looking at. And for me, it's my lens through which I look at therapeutic theory and technique. So the different philosophies that I look at, you know, psychoanalytic, psychodynamic, uh, existential, uh, they, they tend to be a bit on the humanistic side. They tend to be a little bit too optimistic about human nature. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to have to come at that and and recognize that, you know, that some of the things that some of the conclusions that they would come to, for instance, ISTDP, intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy, a common technique in that is called portraiting the murderous rage in which some therapists, you will see them trying to get the, the client so into their anger like cheering them on, then what would you do? Then what would you do? Yeah, you want to smash him, and then what are they going to look like? You know, like basically like a boxing coach, like hmm. t- telling him, kill him, your anger. you just, know? Just Burgess Meredith in there. Yeah, and, and, I, and when I started as a therapist, I'll be honest, I did it a few hmm. times. I, I actually did it, and there was some good result from it, but I was never comfortable with it, and now... 10 years later in, into my, into my work as a therapist, I can look back and go, and the results were never, never seemed to be permanent. I can go back now and say, you know what? My discomfort was good. That was coming out of biblical thing that, you know, don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't let anger rule your life. Yeah. And when we go into anger, yeah, absolutely. I will have clients slow down, feel that anger, where does that anger, what does that anger feel like in your body? What do you want to do if you let that anger take over? But I'm not going to be pushing them. Go in the, go, 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 go. I'm not going to push them into that anger because I don't believe that's what they need. Right. You know, from a biblical world life view lens when I look. So that's, that's how I try to relate the two. My foundation and my lens. Hmm. And we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, people saying, the Bible is enough and kind of leaving it there. And, um, I, I kind of wanted to address that in saying like, it's, it's uh, a, a lot of 
psychology we can think of as a medicine and maybe that's mm-hmm. primarily the way to think of it. And I don't think that, I think most of our Christian friends who might assert that the Bible is enough for your psychological needs mm-hmm. probably wouldn't say that the Bible is enough to fix your broken leg or something like yeah. that. So, um, I think though the, the difference there is that the Bible does have a lot to say about soul care. And I think that's why people yeah. sort of get into that because they don't yes. know exactly where that line is. So uh, that's, that's what I was going to ask. Do you feel like that's something that you can definitively say if it's this, it's something that uh, your spirit, that if it's this in the spiritual realm, if it's this, it's in the psychological realm, or does it differ for every person or every situation? Or I think I never draw a, a strict distinction between the spiritual and anything. Hmm. Um, I think that's actually a great value of the faith tradition I come from, very influenced by Francis Schaeffer and very much that the spiritual is in everything. Hmm. I, I think that's a great thing in Calvinist theology. You can see it represented in Calvin's approach to the Lord's Supper, that the body and blood of Christ is spiritually present. He differed from the Lutherans who had this odd thing of the body and blood of Jesus was underneath the elements. He differed from the Catholics who would say that, no, this physically is it. And Calvin, funny enough, at, at his, his contemporaries saw him, called him the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Um, because he emphasized the importance of the Holy Spirit so much. And that's kind of where I, that's the leanings that I have with that is I don't want to subjugate spirituality away from anything because the Holy Spirit permeates everything from the very, I love the image at the beginning of Genesis, you know, the earth was without form and void and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. Like he, the Holy Spirit is always there, always present, always eager I, I see him as the eager member of the Trinity who's always, all right, let me at it. Let me go. Let me go. You know, like to, to fix things, to, to, to change things, that kind of a thing. There's no place he isn't. When I'm, when I'm talking to my intern therapist, one of the things that I'm constantly trying to nail into them is you do not have to make anything happen in this person's heart. You do not need to make anything happen in this person's heart. The Holy Spirit always goes ahead of you, Hmm. always. So your job is not to make anything happen. Your job is to uncover and point to where the Holy Spirit is already at work. So yeah, I, I, yeah, that's, I think, uh, I don't know if I answered, did I answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. There's, there's like, there's not really a clear delineation. Yeah, And I'm very uncomfortable with any clear Mm. delineation. Mm. I think another, another analogy I like to make is the Holy Spirit is like the 3000 pound gorilla. You know, the whole question of what does the 3000 pound gorilla do? Whatever he wants, (laughs) however he wants to work. If he wants to work through psychotropic medication, if he wants to work through therapy, psychotherapy, formal psychotherapy, if he wants to work through a pastor, uh, pastor congregant uh, relationship, if he wants to work through a simple friendship. I used to be much more in the camp of, I, I will still hear clients who benefit from therapy say, everybody needs a therapist. Everybody should go to therapy. I'm, I'm not there anymore. Hmm. In fact, what I will tell pastors quite frequently, almost to reassure them, is I actually hope in 100, 200 years, we won't need therapists anymore. Hmm. That's, my, that's my goal. Hmm. Um, hmm. You want me to unpack that? Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, yeah, because therapy is a, is a relative newcomer. That's one of the objections to it is like, well... Hmm. You know, soul care, we've been doing soul care for thousands of years, literally thousands of years we've been doing soul care and therapy is 150 years old at most. You know, how, how can you d- defend therapy? And I say, yeah, it is. It's an odd thing. It arose in a particular cultural sociological milieu. That is that the industrial revolution came in and totally tore apart traditional structures of society. If you think about this, 200 years ago, if you were a pastor of a congregation, you knew that entire congregation, all four gener—you know four generations of that congregation. Mm-hmm. You saw them born, you saw them married, you saw them have children, you saw them die. You saw everything and you saw all their squabbles, all their fights, everything. Very stabilizing in that relationship. And you've got a lot of freedom to do a lot in those kinds of cases. 
modern culture, we don't have that kind of stability. And so what ends up happening with the loss of that stability is that when our psychological problems show up, they, they, there isn't, you know, those, those stable attachments that we had 200 years ago, they weren't perfect. They certainly did, um, perpetuate a lot of problems and a lot of cultural and relational problems that I don't want to go back to. Mm. But what they did provide is there was only so far the effects could go. Okay. And you could only spin out for so long mm. until you were either an outcast or you were taken <laughs> care of. Okay. Mm. Now, you know, we don't have those buffers to go back to. And that's why uh, how I see therapists is almost like the emergency room physician, hmm. like the, or, or just the, the person who comes in and we need to set the leg. Like we, we need to get things in place. We need to get things going so that when you are out in your other relationships, you can, you can, you can get this going. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a moment ago, I, I was talking about how, Therapy is is for me a, a function of of implementation. It is it is mm -hmm. one, and and you said it yourself. It is it is a tool that the Holy Spirit can use. Mm -hmm. um, I will I will take what you're saying and I will actually bring that in as well. Mm -hmm. It is it is a function of adaptation, yes. which is to say, it's fairly new and mm -hmm. it's new because and it it was it was necessitated by shifts in culture, yes, and shifts in society, yes, and so. You know, I, I'm reminded of something that a, a pastor of mine said that always stuck with me, which he said, whatever the thing is that brought you to Christ, you <laughs> will inherently think that is the thing that should yeah. bring everyone to Christ. Yeah. Yes. But if you are 70 or 80 and you were brought to Christ during World War II or something like that, uh, well, the world has changed now. Yeah. It, and, and just like now yeah. the core of it, which is the Holy Spirit working inside you, yep. that doesn't change. Never. But if you're going to act as though, well, I mean, that was good enough for me. Yes, I'm sure it was. But as it turns out, uh, there was no Internet. There were mm -hmm. very clear, if you'll pardon me, there are very clear villains uh, in you know World War II yeah. or whatever. Well, and and there's a whole different cultural idea of of religion and Christianity. Yeah. Yes. And just, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I like the idea of thinking of it as an adaptation, as a tool mm -hmm. that the Holy spirit will use. And one that it's just the latest, it's just another example of him. Look, you know, mm -hmm. assessing the yes. situation saying, all right, uh, I'll use this. It's, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, Absolutely. In kind of a, an abstract way, it's definitely yeah. how I approach film, yeah. um, which yep. is you know is modern day parables and that yeah, sort absolutely. of thing. Whether the filmmaker means for them to be or not, yep, they are. And it is worth noting, and, and we need to start wrapping up. But uh, it is worth noting that one of my frequent frustrations with the Christian reaction to film, yes, is that first off, it's fairly new. Yeah. So there is immediate suspicion, suspicion immediate yep. suspicion. Um, but that also in the world of film production, art is so intangible yeah. that people look at it and they think, well, I could do that. You know, yeah. it's so easy to do. God has called me to do it. So I'll just do it. No problem. Mm -hmm. I don't need any kind of training. I don't need any yeah, help no with the implementation. Craft. Yeah. And I feel like when it, I feel like in that way, psychology does seem to be a bit intangible to people mm -hmm. as opposed to a broken leg or a dislocated yeah. ankle from some stupid sport, yes. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's something they can point to and say, I know what that means. Yeah. Just as, uh, you know, um, let's say any number of careers where you're doing something very real, very tangible, and you need to learn how to do that as opposed to art, as opposed to psychology, it's dealing with kind of in many ways, uncharted, mm -hmm. abstract, intangible mm -hmm. concepts. And I do think that that can be a difficult thing to wrestle with. It can be. And I think it, and as a result, I think it's, it's something that, that Christians looking at it with suspicion already yeah. will feel the need to reduce either Absolutely. in its, in its significance sure. or in just the ability to, to do yeah, it. And it's effectiveness. Yeah. 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 One thing I, I actually, one of my passions is making therapy very tangible to people. Mm. 
And I say, ultimately, what I'm about is emotions and relationships. And I guess I use an artistic metaphor to say, you, everybody is in relationship. Everybody has emotions. Even, even Josh Long, the robot, <laughs> has emotions. Yeah, so my artistic metaphor, and I stole this from Sue Johnson, uh, the progenitor of emotionally focused couples therapy, is that emotions are the music and relationship is the dance. And so I am really a dance trainer. I'm teaching you to listen to your own music and, and make choices about how you want to respond to that music in relationship to other people. Mm -hmm. So a way of making kind of the intangible tangible. Um, that's why I think oftentimes one of the big misconceptions of psychology and, and counseling in general, pastoral work in general, because of our scholastic leaning over the last 300, 400 years, is people think it's advice giving or it's trying to get you to think in a different way. The best soul care does not teach you to think better. It doesn't, it doesn't give you the right things to do. It trains you in how you interact with other people and how you interact with God. I reference, tell everybody, go back to C.S. Lewis, Men Without Chests. Mm. Great thing where he talks about modern education and the problem with modern education being very this. It addresses the stomach, it addresses the brain, it never addresses the heart. Yeah. And, and relationship and how right thinking, how right viewing of the world, right interacting with the world is what we are all about in education. So... So we do need to wrap up. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out uh, mm -hmm. to you in this way. Um, so let's say we've got a listener that is uh, a Christian. I know we have a number of non-Christian listeners as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I honestly believe that there aren't, <laughs> that this is more of a Christian issue than not. Yeah. Uh, there's a Christian listener who feels like they, they, should go to therapy. Yeah. Um, but they're not really sure, or maybe they're in therapy and they're starting to wonder, maybe I should, you know, go on some kind of antidepressant or something like that. Do you have any just general advice for them about like what to look for in a therapist sure. or, or anything like that? I do. Um, there are four questions I tell every person to ask a therapist. Uh, the four questions are, and you can go to my website. Website is www.kynos. Let me spell that for you. <laughs> K as in kangaroo, A as in apple, I as in igloo, N as in Nancy, O as in octopus, S as in Sam. KynosChristianTherapy.com. And I have in the about us section, I have how to choose a therapist. Okay. And I have these four questions. The four questions are, how do you believe people change? What does a session with you look like? What do you want me to do if I ever have a problem with you or therapy? And I'm a Christian. How do you understand the relationship between faith and therapy? And how do you handle therapy when faith is important to a client? Mm -hmm. All right. That's, uh, that's, that's actually very instructive. And we do not have time to go into it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's okay. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, one last uh, encouragement. Uh, therapy has, for me, been... A very helpful thing in a lot of ways. I've had some therapists that I think are maybe a bit more effective, and some mm -hmm. I've had, I've had some who I think are inclined to try to give advice. Yeah. But the ones that have been most helpful for me are the ones that are just more interested in in asking questions and just sort of pointing me towards a truth that I it's often I already know, right? Um, and yep. that sort of thing. So. Um, you know, it is, it's been very helpful. So if you're somebody who has been kind of on the fence about it, or you think to go back to something that I was talking about, that one way or another, it's like cheating. Yeah. Um, if you have, I'll put it this way. You listen to this show. If ever you have watched a movie mm -hmm. and you have felt God talk to you through that movie, that movie's not the Bible. Yeah. So it is, a, God is, the Holy Spirit is utilizing and implementing something, something in your life to speak to you. You can do the same thing with therapy. It's not cheating. If you feel like this is a thing that you need, uh, then do not hesitate to, uh, to seek it out and, uh, and, and ask these questions that you're talking about. So, yep. okay. Uh, I think we will, we will leave it there. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, you can, uh, like us on Facebook. You can follow us, uh, on Twitter at more lessons for me and Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. If you want to make fun of him and then if you're like me, uh, feel really bad about it and then apologize. If you uh, want to tweet me an insult, I'll just send you back a bunch of ones and zeros. Oh, the, oh this is perfect. <laughs> this thing is working out so well. You have no idea. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And then once again, uh, Kainos, Kainos? Kainos, yeah. Okay. K-A-I-N-O-S, kainoschristiantherapy.com. Okay. All right. Well, thank you once again, uh, everybody, for listening. Tim, thank you for uh, being here. My pleasure. Josh, as always, thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.